you're about to hear an episode with Tori Allen. She is a freelance producer and a journalist, and she spent eight years working at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation in radio on a show called Metro Morning, another called Definitely Not the Opera, and she was a founding producer of the show Q. Right now, Tori is living in Thailand with her husband and her two young kids. And what you're about to hear was recorded a year ago when Tori came back to Toronto for a visit. A bunch of us decided to rent a place in Bancroft, Ontario for a few days to be together. And Tori and I found a quiet place. We talked about how her work life has changed and the different ways that she's had to reinvent herself since moving away. Hi, I'm the Nava Duncan. And I'm Tori Allen. And this is Media Girlfriends. The Cottage Edition. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so every year, a number of us come together and go to a cottage and just hang out for like a week. And we call it Lady Camp. And we call it Lady Camp. And it's the highlight of my year. <laughs> Aww, well, Tori. I mean, like, one of the top five highlights of my year. For you know sure. What? Hands down, no contest. Same here. Yes. And I should say that we are in the bunkie. We are in a very rustic uh, cottage <laughs> bunkie. There is a poster that says Nielsen's Jersey Milk <laughs> There's a poster of a, of a, of a, of a, a deer. A male deer with large antlers saying, welcome to the cabin. And above that, <laughs> there is another another white poster with uh, a gun on it and the top of a house that says, this house guarded by shotgun three nights per week. You guess which three. Ha ha. Hilarious. Right. Not weird. It's, it's, it's so over the top cottage. Yeah, these it's couches are from out of the time. 1970s. Yes. So that's where we are. And we yeah. can both see the beautiful lake mm-hmm. and uh, out the picture window. Yeah. And yeah. this is just, uh, this is the smaller cottage. There's a bigger cottage. There's a bigger cottage. Yes. Anyway, I first met Tori Allen in Newmarket at Sacred Heart High School. And we were not friends. <laughs> <laughs> we knew each other. We knew each other. <laughs> but we were not friends. We were not friends. But no. not because we were like... You were you were, you were a grade older than me. I was a, yeah, I was a grade and older. And I was than a nerd. You. Yeah. What? I was a nerd. I mean, you were a nerd too, but we were not in the same nerd group. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we met each other at CBC. We re-met each other at CBC. Yes. Right. When I was there and you were you came in. I was just starting. You were just starting. Yeah. And I was maybe a few years in. Yeah. Um so but you have left CBC. I have. You left CBC five years ago. Yes. Why? I left CBC. I'd been there, I think, eight years in total. And it was a wonderful, mostly wonderful eight years. Um, But I was ready to do something, to have an adventure. I had always felt like I should leave Canada and go try living and working somewhere else. And then I probably would have ended up at some point doing that on my own anyway, but I met a wonderful man who later became my husband, but at the time he was a boyfriend, and he said that he wanted to go, he'd gone back to school to get his teaching degree, and he wanted to go live abroad, and would I come with him? So it was the perfect opportunity, just the right timing for me to pick up and leave. 
I had no idea that you like wanted an adventure before he came along. Oh yeah. Yeah, my parents both immigrated here and I always felt like it would be so dull if I just stayed in Toronto and mm. never left. I mean, I went to school in Vancouver, I came back, I did a year abroad, but like I liked I loved Toronto. But I also always felt this sort of like I have to I have to go. It mm. would just be wrong if I stayed here forever. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. So when this opportunity came up, it was the perfect opportunity to it was just the right timing. My father had passed away mm-hmm. the year previous. My mom was settled enough. It was just a good time. I was looking for a new thing so to they, do. So this was a no-brainer for you? Yeah. Yeah, oh. I mean, but still, fraught. <laughs> like, what am I doing? Because, I'd, and luckily, there was a safety net in that I got a year leave of absence. Yes, and that is a good safety net. Not everybody gets that. No, and I had to fight for it. Yeah, that Because they sense. offered it and then tried to take it away. What? Well, they... Offered it and then said, oh, could you delay your departure because the team is really shaky and we need to stabilize? And I was like, no. Right. You were working on uh, DNTO. DNTO. I said, no, I've already made fun plans. And then, um, you know, and then they asked, I think they, like, there was some talk of them taking my yearly absence away or like shortening it or something. And I was just like, no, listen, I worked hard enough. Like, you know, anyway, Mm -hmm. they sorted it out. Mm Mm-hmm. But it was it, it was a bit crazy making. So he gets this job. So he ended up when it was at when it came up. It was like we didn't know where we were going to end up. Okay. It was a question mark. Um, and then he got the job in South Korea, and it was like, okay, we're moving to Seoul. I have no, I had <laughs> nothing. I knew nothing about Korea. What was the job? Jeff's job. Mm-hmm. Uh, he worked at an international school teaching design technology. So I then become the trailing spouse. Trailing spouse. Yes. The trailing spouse, which is not, uh, which is a very common title in the expat world Mm -hmm. of the spouse who follows the other spouse who has a job. Mm -hmm. But generally the trailing spouse either has to generate their own position or just lives, lives off the income of the working spouse. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I was very lucky when I moved to Seoul on a number of levels. But part of one of the reasons I was lucky is that I just happened to connect with a group of people who were in media, who were making a television show, and they asked me to join their team. That's awesome. It was awesome. It was. It was a, the first year in Seoul was crazy, but good. And I worked harder than I've, like... Really? It, it was a very busy year. Mm. Um, but I worked on this TV show and these people became really good friends. So I didn't really feel it that hard that first year. Cause I kind of replicated my life of working on a schedule, working on a production, having deadlines, mm-hmm. having output, working with the creative team of people that I really liked. Who became, I feel like that was very smart. Well, it was luck. I know, but it's so a good thing. It was a good thing. But then it, it hit hard in my second year when that wasn't there anymore. The TV show wasn't happening and I was just left to my own devices to generate my own work. And what was that um, like? So now you're hustling. Yeah, I was hustling freelancer. I was, you know, teaching a little Korean kids a little bit just to make money because I've also not a person who's comfortable just sitting back <laughs> and being a trailing spouse and saying, <laughs> hi, honey, what shall I make for dinner? You know, that's not me. Is that what some of your colleagues were doing? Uh, I know. I mean, I think that some people, I think it's very hard if you've had a career 
to go from having a career, particularly at an institution that has a lot of meaning in your home country, yeah. where you can say, I work for CBC, and yeah. everybody knows, and is like, oh, and that gives you a certain cachet. And, and also to be part of a cultural conversation, to work with people every day who you know, are smart and looking for the latest ideas and thinking about creative ways to do things and always up on news and culture. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I also went from a life where I was like, you know, working on, I was getting free tickets to shows and ballet and I knew about the latest, you know, records coming out and I was very plugged in. And I also felt really, really plugged into Toronto because of work that I'd done earlier in my career. So it was like there's that transition of going from a place that you know and feel very comfortable in, in a surrounding to like, I don't know any of these people. Mm. I don't know this place at all. I have to figure out everything on a daily basis, language, mm-hmm. interaction, yada, yada. But so in terms of friendships, second-, second year, like it was like, okay, I have some friends. But where we happened to live in Seoul was like a 30, 45 minute transit ride, amazing transit ride to get to them just because we lived in a more remote area of the city so it wasn't like i could just zip over and have a coffee or get together for a drink or whatever and it started to really dawn on me that you know that french my french i have wonderful friends in toronto like really amazing friends and as we've all said at this week often at lady camp like incredibly talented smart um you know ambitious friends funny friends, like just people who are doing really interesting things. And I don't know, you know, like it's hard to find that again. So there are many times along these five years where I have gone, why, like, what am I doing? Why am I so far away from these people that I love? Mm. Especially when I had a kid and now, you know, I'm going to have another kid. I'm like, they don't, you know, they're not going to be around these people that I love. Oh, I haven't thought about that. Yeah. So that's why especially particularly this edition of Lady Camp is meaningful to me is because we are spending the first half of the week ladies, no babies. And then the second half of the week, boyfriends and babies, boyfriends, boys and babies come up. So yeah. we all get to have that family time together. too. Yeah. Yes. Cousins. Cousin time. <laughs> cousin time. Yeah. Hottish cousins time. Hottish cousins time. Yeah. Oh man. So then the second year was rough. Second year was rough. There were other reasons the second year was rough was partially because uh, of the Q thing. Right. Yeah. All that stuff went down with you and In your second year. So you're in another country. Yeah. And all this stuff is going on on a show that you worked on. From the, like, during the period. Oh, my God. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. So that was really hard. It was good, maybe, in a way. Are yeah. you want to talk about this? Maybe you want to yeah. cut it out. No, I, I'm okay. I'm re- I'm open if you are. Yeah, fine. So I worked on Q. Mm-hmm. I was one of the founding members of the Q team, and so um, and I worked there for two and a half years, and it was a very intense, I mean, amazing, intense, hard t- uh, time. And I eventually decided to leave because I didn't want to work for Gian anymore. Um, and was, what was your reason at the time? Because I didn't want to further his empire, and I didn't think he was a good person. I think he was very talented, and uh, but it just I just also didn't want to chase celebrities anymore, and I wanted to talk to real people, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to be part of building his empire right. any further. And it had nothing to do with, obviously you had no knowledge of this stuff that came out, 
No, not in that. Like, I mean, there were there were hints of that he was, you know, physical with women, but never that it, he like without consent. And, mm-hmm. But that was one of the hard things about when it did break, and I was abroad, and was that you know stuff started coming out, and I realized, and this was very distressing to me that, you know, I had witnessed some of these acts like you know Catherine Burrell who yeah. was you know the woman at the center of the CPC issues many of them um you know she and I were the two young women on the show at the time and you know we both really struggled with Jean in different ways with his you know power plays and his undermining and um and you know I I now in in like in reflection I don't know if I blocked it out or I don't know, like, I remember talking to her and, you know, like, her having this realization, you know, years later that what he did was sexual assault. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I mean, like, I think I must have witnessed that too. Or, like, you know, I, like, how did I not know at the time to do more and stand up more and, mm. you know, say this is wrong? And, like, we did, to an extent, stand up for ourselves. Well, you mentioned was, power plays. Oh, well, he would do awful things like he would play us off each other intentionally. What? So he would come up to you. So say Catherine had produced an interview that was really great. He would come up to me and be like, that was a great interview. Good job. And be like, it's not Catherine's. And you're like, what? Like, what was that about? Like, I don't know. Like on purpose? On purpose. Just knowing that Catherine. She's sitting right behind me and can hear me. Okay. And he would do the vice versa. So it was like he wanted us to be competitive and not be a team. And until we eventually, like she and I just said, like to his face in the open plan, do not do that anymore. We don't like it. It's not helping anybody. Don't do it anymore. How did he respond? He was just like, whatever. Okay, well, you know. But he didn't do it again. He didn't do that anymore. But like that was a, that was one of the tiny little right, things, right, 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 right. So then you're in Seoul and you're having you know, these but there were like, I mean, like there were things that Catherine recounted that I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't I do more to stop that? Why didn't I think that that was sexual assault? Or like, why did, you know? And it was it was it, it was interesting. Like now I I think very I think we all do mm-hmm. think very differently about boundaries and what's okay and what's not okay and what's acceptable and host culture and who holds power and how that's, you know, played out. Wow. But yes, it was a very, like, that fall and into the next year was very difficult. So what were you doing? Did you find yourself just, like, online all the time? Like, eating up, devouring all of the information? Every day, you know, you'd wake, I'd wake up and look at my phone and, you know, and people were messing, are you okay? Were you part of this? Did you, were you affected? You know, and just, like, the, the saga of it all. Did you get calls from lawyers or anything? Oh, I was, like, I was, I was interviewed, you know, like, there were calls from CBC. Mm-hmm. There were calls, like, from, an, you know, admin and managers wanting to. Like HR and stuff? Yeah. Wow. Um, and there were calls from, and then, you know, there were actual meet, interview requests, which I mostly denied because I, that was not how I wanted to deal with it. But, yeah, I mean, I think it was good to have that separation, but it was also weird to go through it. By yourself, I feel Kind like. of. You know, I mean, I, um, I mean, I know I talked to Garvia about it and my other close friends and stuff, but yeah. I mean, there were lots of days where I was just in tears. Oh, Tori. 
you know, because it was awful. And, you know, we'd been such a, like, it, and it, we'd built this thing and built this vehicle for this person to take advantage of so many women. And the betrayal on, you know, feeling the betrayal from CBC2. What do you mean? Well, in the sense that, you know, when it came out how much they knew and when they knew and that they let him keep working, even though there were accusations, there were some misgivings, you know. I don't want to get into all the details of of it all, but, like, you know, and we all knew that, like, we all, because we were all told, manage your relationship with him. Learn to manage your relationship with him. We're not going to discipline him, so you learn how to work with him, or... That is just wild thinking about it. You know? Like, learn how to put your differences aside and manage his temper and tantrums and... Or I guess this isn't the place for you is what the what was left unsaid. Mm. Yeah. How did you come down from it all? Uh let me think about that. I don't know. You know, I think I think towards the end of that year I started to find a rhythm, started to get into freelancing and started to pick things up. Um and that was better, like once I got, you know, back a little bit into my own game of working in media um what kind of jobs did you have i worked on a project for the national film board oh i contributed a story for one of their um their high-rise digital um documentary did you pitch this i was contacted by the producer cool who uh, i knew from toronto who uh you should interview (laughs) um uh but i i really enjoyed i started to get into doing stories there and that was and seeing, getting some insight into the culture and this place, this crazy place that I was living in. And that helped a lot. I'm just sort of, you know, establishing my life there more. Why was it crazy? Oh, Seoul, South Korea is a crazy place because it's like, it's stuck between uh, the future. It's It's futuristic, but also very old fashioned. So, you know, they're way ahead of us on public transit. Their transit system's amazing. It's cheap. It's clean. It's efficient. Okay. And it's a mega city. Like, we're talking 10 million in Seoul proper and, like, 25 million in the greater Seoul area. So it's much, much bigger than Toronto. And, you know, you can zip around the city so easily. And they already had the, you know, the transit cards that you could use anywhere. Or you could be loaded on your phone. They, um... So that's the So future. it's like, like things that were very huge. Everybody there had... There was Wi-Fi everywhere. So everybody... Like, when I came, Ugh, when I came home serious? for the summer, and I'd be on the TTC, I'm like, oh, I can't... <laughs> like, what the, is this? <laughs> right? Yeah. But there, like, everybody... the See, everybody is just on their phone on the subway because they all have, like, high speed... They're watching TV. Mm-hmm. On the subway. Um, so, like... So that's that kind not... of thing. But if you went into bathroom mm-hmm. in Seoul unless it was a really high-end place and sometimes even a high-end place instead of flushing your toilet paper down the toilet you put it in a bin in a garbage bin you're even using if, toilet paper even if... yeah <laughs> and I was like how can you have an incredible subway system and have wi-fi everywhere and you can't figure out how to make your sewers work for like flushing toilet paper okay so I like things I'm like that you're like future past <laughs> we're somewhere in the middle right wow yeah so it's i mean and it's also in north america you hear only about north korea whereas i think seoul is a fat like korea is south korea is a fascinating place with all of its own issues that's as interesting as the north korea south korea divide hmm. yeah 
So now you you are doing your freelancing thing. You're yeah. feeling like more Tory-ish, mm-hmm. I guess. Yep. And where does the baby come in? Yeah, so we got married after our first year, we decided. But there was that point after my first year, at the end of my first year, when I asked for it to extend my leave of absence. And they said, no. You either come back and take a job that or we you're dictate, quitting, or you leave the CBC. And that was a moment where we were like, okay, what are we doing? Like, are we going to get married? Are we going to have a kid eventually? Like, what or is like... What's happening here? What's happening here? So it was that moment of reckoning at the end of our first year at which we said, well, let's keep going. I'm going to quit, which was like, oh my God. I'm quitting. Um, and you just mentioned I remember you love CBC. Yeah, I remember crying on the subway when I read the email saying, you know, we can't give we can't extend you either come back or and do this job or that's it mm. um so the safety net was gone yeah so but we took that leap and then you know we tried to have kid took a year to have a kid which was felt long yeah um and then there was the whole adventure of like having a baby in korea <laughs> which actually turned out really well yeah how so um i think because i was in a different country i did a lot of research about the kind of birth experience I wanted. And I will say that I'm always astounded at how much people that you don't know very well, like I'm talking about Jeff's colleagues now at his school, um, people you don't know particularly well or people that you've just known for a year or a few months or something, like just step up and bring you meals and offer to hold your baby and, Mm. you know, try to help. I'm so glad that you got that. Yeah. Yeah. But it was still, there was still very isolating. Like, the other day, I'm home for the summer. Mm-hmm. I put my son in the stroller. We were staying downtown at a, another media girlfriend's house, the lovely Rachel Giza. Mm-hmm. And I put my son in the stroller, and I walked down the street, and I got a coffee, and we went in a store. And I was like, oh, my gosh. To do this, like, this is what my life could have been like. And it could have been like, I'm going to meet Nanaba on Monday, and we're going to hang out with the kids, yeah. and we're just going to chill. Like, that has never really been part of my parenting experience. You mentioned that you didn't go to J school. How did you get to CBC? I was lucky. Come on, Tori, don't say that. No, I mean, I think I I have I have the apt I had the Okay, let me explain <laughs> how I was lucky. So I went to Simon Fraser University in Vancouver in Burnaby, BC, and they have and I decided to take communications in English. Partially because I wanted to do the co-op program through communications because I wanted the work experience and the money and whatever. And I took a super long time to finish my undergrad. Like, I took seven years. I stretched that puppy out. And <laughs> <laughs> my parents were a bit worried. Um, but it all worked out because in my second last year, um, SFU Communications Co-op partnered with CBC as one of the programs that fed into the um, Peter Zosky Internship, Right. Okay, right. You were Peter Zosky So kid. when Peter Zosky died, they created this internship for non-J school students, specifically to bring in new kinds of people to the CBC. And they partnered with McGill, Trent, Memorial, and SFU. So again, so the, from that moment, so the, the pond, like, mm-hmm. the, it narrows. I get and it. And then at SFU, it was only, only people who could apply to it were SFU Communication Co-op final year students. So you're saying this was like a built 
this was yeah. built for who and it you just were happened to come to my school in my program at the other universities anybody could apply it was wide open it's like you had way more competition. I only had to compete against like the seven people who qualified, mm-hmm. but I got it. I was just going to say like, uh, I understand the, the luck yes. and the funneling, yes. but we also are going to acknowledge your skill sure, and sure, your talent. Sure, 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 sure. But <laughs> sure, fine, yes. But <laughs> that first summer that I worked at CBC Vancouver was a complete quarter life crisis and I felt like a failure and like I, w- I was not meant to be at CBC at all. What? Yeah. It was the first time in my life where this is going to sound like I have an inflated ego, but you know, school had been easy. Mm. I know where you're going. Go on. And then I came to this job and I didn't, and they weren't used to working with non J school interns. So they expected me to know how to do things. I don't know how to do anything. Like I don't know how to write a green. I don't know how to schedule a two-way. I don't know how to, you know, do any of this stuff. And I didn't know how a to do it. green is a question line. For yes, a, yeah. an interview script. And uh, and I remember walking into it. Somehow they put me at Radio 3 thinking that I knew more about indie music than I did. I really didn't. And the guy, the exec, was like, so you've done radio before? No. Well, you're in journalism? No. Uh, so what do you know how to do? Like, what am I supposed to do with you? I was like, I don't know. Oh my like, god, I don't know. I'll do my best. Like this is the whole point of this. Um, and so I felt like a complete failure. I felt like I should just go work in communications, like I had it planned to before. I'm not meant to be, you know, in the production side of media. When did you change your mind about that? I didn't change my mind. I so I was in Vancouver. My father got sick. I ended up moving back to Toronto. And a woman that I worked with named Dawn, thank you, Dawn, wherever you are, remembered me and said, we just need somebody to record these little stories for Radio 3. This was when Radio 3 was an amazing web magazine and broadcast. And you could do that from anywhere. And why don't you do it from Toronto? We'll give you a short-term contract. And I was just like, okay, I'll do it. So I moved out to Toronto. I got this job and I got in the building. And, and I, that's what I met. Rachel, Rachel Giza started working in that group. Oh my for gosh, CBC you've known Arts her for Online. that long? I yeah, really she like... and a bunch of other people were hired to work on the Arts Online magazine. And then um, and then Global Village with Garvia <laughs> was next door. And I was like, ooh, I want to work there. Like, <laughs> they are having fun in there. <laughs> and so I just slowly built up the confidence. But it was really like, was really just being there. And I had the imposter syndrome for like probably five, six, seven years, like oh. almost to the end of my career at CBC. That's wild. But it was also like, and I think you did, I remember talking with you and giving you this advice that whatever anybody offers you, do it. Like if somebody says, can you go get tape for Metro Morning? Yeah. I forgot that advice from you, but I did do that. Yeah. If somebody says, like, I remember, because I was, remember, because you came in and you were contest Nana. <laughs> and I had been, before I didn't even get a name, I was just contest girl <laughs> on go. Contest girl. Contest girl. Were you the contest girl before me? No. Shirley was before Shirley you was, and yeah. I was before Shirley. Okay. And when somebody said to me, you should, you should go for this job at go. And I was like, I don't do comedy. I don't do live comedy in front of people. Like, I don't. I can't perform. I don't know. And it was like, you also are going to have to learn how to 
uh, direct a live show. I'm like, I don't know how to do those things. I can't do those things. But he said, you should do it. It was our, it was Havoc. Thank you, Havoc. Um, <laughs> and it was a, such a good lesson of like, you can if you just give yourself a chance. Amazing. So I did all kinds of crazy things at CBC. Yeah, you did. it, But it sounds like you continued that sort of all kinds of things when you left CBC, too. I feel like this is you, though. Yes. And I didn't realize it was me for a long... Like, I never would have said that was me until it became me. Interesting. Yeah. So where are you now? We are living in um, Phuket, Thailand, um, which is also pretty crazy um and it's good and weird you know it's a it's a tourist island we live on a tourist island where people spend thousands of dollars to go on vacation and we live there every day so the people coming so there's there must be a difference between the people coming spending thousands of dollars and and the the people who live there yeah it's and it's such like the people who live there maybe they work in the whole hotel industry Mm -hmm. some of them are teachers some of them you know I don't know what the other people are doing. Um, you know, it's kind of like, why are you here? Like, that's the question. Like, so what do you do here? Because you're like, well, I don't understand why anybody's here. Long, you know, like permanently long term. Like, it's not, it's a strange place that way. Okay. Um, but it's an experience. And I've, even in this last year in Phuket, I have also grown. So. How have you grown? Um, I think, how have I grown? And how is Phuket? I don't feel as attached to it as I do to Korea. It feels more temporary to me. Um, and it's, I think, also harder now being a mom to... Normally, I would dig in to a place more and try to understand it more and try to learn the language and try to meet more local friends. I haven't found a local Thai friend yet to give me some insight into this place that I live. So I'm content with being a mom and doing my Pacific content gig and... Yeah, I'm just accepting that I'm sort of going to slide around on the surface of this country for a while and unfortunately probably leave it. Wait, the the Pacific content job is a full-time... It's part-time. It's a contract. Okay, right. Yeah. So it's about to end, and that's okay because I'm about to have another child. Right. So I'm feeling very okay about just momming it out (laughs) for the next year. Yep. And that's fine. And um, as we've been talking this week at the cottage, like where what will happen after this following year is very much up in the air. Yeah. Again. So name a name a place that you'd like to go real quick. Live in? Yeah. Holland. Holland. Yeah. My husband has a Dutch passport, Dutch background, and I have a British passport which is going to stop being useful soon. So we would really like to go live in Europe. Okay. And like to be there for a while. Tori, I'm hungry. Let's eat. <laughs> I think uh, some food is probably being made. Pizza on the Let's barbecue. Go. Yeah, but thank you. Thank you. I miss you. I miss you too. And I love you. I love you too. Give me a hug. Hug it out. <laughs> thank you, Tori. I miss you. I love you. I'm looking forward to the next lady camp. Tori has helped me across time zones to make this podcast. True media girlfriend. If you are looking for a freelance radio or podcast producer, I highly recommend her work. She is thorough and she is thoughtful. Now it's time for your what I should have said moment. This one's a doubleheader. 
from two journalists, Vicky Mochama and Katie Jensen, who run the new Vocal Fry Studios. It's an affordable and inclusive Toronto podcast studio and community workspace. Here are Vicky and Katie. Okay, was there a time at work where something happened and you should have said something? Yes, definitely. It was my first job as a journalist a few years ago, and I was under a lot of stress to perform and create this product for the company, and it was a a brand new podcast, and there was a lot of intense scrutiny, a lot of pressure from both the boss and also external. And I remember we were having a conversation on the street after work, I kind of expressed some some doubt, some self-doubt saying, I don't know if I can do this. I've never done anything like this before. You know, this is my first job. There's a lot weighing on me. And my boss said, I don't know, maybe you just need a less structured work environment. Maybe this isn't the job for you. Maybe you can't do this. And what I needed to hear at that moment was, you can do this. I believe in you. I wouldn't have told you to do this if I didn't think you could do it. I have your back. And if you fail, I'm here for you. But it was like, nah, listen to your self-doubt. Listen to your fear. Lean into that fear. So I left feeling really kind of shaky and a little bit crumbling inside emotionally. And it was a really difficult summer. And I ended up being able to pull it off. But I think what I would tell that person now is that A, I'm a freelancer, so I have the least structured work environment possible. B, you are a shambles and you're projecting your need for control onto me. And C, look at what I've accomplished in the last few years doing my thing. I would also add D, you are a bad manager. It's true. God, (laughs) who tells somebody that? Now, Vicky, was there a time at work when you felt like you wanted to say something but didn't? Yeah, I think there is a couple times where people expressed that they doubted my abilities in a number of ways. And so I remember this one job, we were we did this sort of like complicated math in order to serve these clients and it required percentages and things. And I was like, I can do the math. I just don't like there's some of it where it got super complicated and I'd have to ask someone else to double check. And I remember that the very first time I asked this one girl, like, hey, I just want to make sure that before I send this out to anybody that this is right. And so, you know, it involved a spreadsheet and just double checking some things with different systems. And she did it and she got a different answer. And I was like, okay, talk me through how you got that. And we go through the process. And at the very end, she asked if I'd gone to university. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, first of all, what does that have to do with anything? Second of all, Yes, I had because it was a very it was a basic requirement for the job. So that's I got in the door because I had one. So she asked me this question. I just like sort of answered the question. I was like, yeah, I, I went to university, I went to Carleton, and doing what black women everywhere did. I was downplayed and downplayed my skills and uh, experiences. I remember just walking away, being like, I should have told that girl I went to a better university than hers. What did she go to? I think she went to. Western? Definitely. Carlton's definitely Western. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't know, study some, something anybody can study, but, like, mm-hmm. neither of us were better than the other. So it was just kind of like, what, it, what, what, is this, what does this have to do with anything? Why is this necessary? Yeah. And I was just like, I... 
Should have just told this girl, like, listen, it doesn't even matter. Even if I'd never gone to university, I'm still smarter than you. Just double check my math and let's move on. Mm-hmm. What would you tell her now? You would you would say I'm smarter than you? <laughs> yeah, I would still tell her that I'm smarter than her because I, I think I am. <laughs> um, hello. I went to Western. Hashtag not all Western grads. Anyway, Vicky and Katie, thank you for sharing your what I should have said stories. We all have so many, I'm realizing, and I'm starting to wonder about these terrible things that some people have said to us. Do you think some of them regret it? Like, do you think maybe we should go back to these people and confront them about the impact of what they said? I think that would be interesting. Ideas. Anyway, if you want to know more about Vicky and Katie and their new podcast studio and community workspace, Vocal Fry Studios, you can find out more in the show notes. Same if you want to find out about Tori Allen. Media Girlfriends is produced by me, Nanaba Duncan. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts, including Radio Public. And we're also on Twitter, at MediaGFS, and the hashtag is MediaGirlfriends. 